Thank you for listening to the final episode of Adam's Story. If you are captivated by this story, please tell your friends and family about it and help us spread the word. Knowledge is power, and we have an opportunity to protect additional people from falling prey to the Ricky Dugos of this world. Season 1 took you on a roller coaster ride, trying to catch a con man, an effort that took five years to successfully complete. With a guilty verdict at the trial, Ricky Dugo's fate was sealed. Through hard work and dedication by so many people, you can rest a little easier tonight knowing that one less sad excuse for a human being is out there trying to steal your hard-earned money. Adam's final thoughts, coming up next. Join me on this adventure to catch a con man. This is Adam Albin. Thank you for allowing me to share with you my very detailed and personal story of To Catch a Con Man. I was hoping to borrow your ears and your minds for just a few more minutes as I ask you all for a favor. We have an opportunity to change how career con men and career criminals should be punished. Ricky Dugo has been a successful con man for over 40 years. He is what I call a serial con man, meaning his crimes are of a repetitive nature in a series, rank, or row. There are hundreds of Ricky Dugo victims out there, maybe thousands. However, because the statutes of limitations are only three years in most of these potential cases, and because person-to-person theft that is disguised as a business opportunity and or investment is normally considered a civil case, the current laws work in favor of these criminals. I want to be the catalyst of change in the legislation. I want to change how long we have to convict and punish criminals that perpetrate the same rinse and repeat crimes over and over again. It only seems fair that if a person like Ricky Dugo pulls off the cash for electronic scam seven years ago, and then he pulls off that same scam four years ago, and then again today, no matter the amount of money that was allegedly stolen, we should be able to go back as far in time and charge each and every one of those acts as technically the crime is in the same and ongoing nature, meaning it hasn't stopped. It never stopped. Victims of these like-for-like crimes should not be excluded because they didn't know back in time that Dugo was in fact a serial scammer. It has taken me over five years and thousands of hours invested into Ricky Dugo to uncover many of the patterns and versions of the scams Ricky Dugo has successfully pulled off. I want to propose a change to that thinking and a change to the legislation so that criminals do not have the advantage of time elapsing to get off on these charges. The amount of time that elapses doesn't change the fact that the person they stole from will always be a victim. If you have a victim, one that has justifiable proof as a witness to these crimes, you should also have a criminal. If a person commits that crime, the same types of crimes repeatedly on new victims at different times and or different places, 
That should be considered of a serial nature, and the law should not treat these crimes as separate and or different. When in fact the crimes are identical and just over a separate period of time or place or with a different person, we should be able to turn back the clock to the earliest alleged crime and add more charges to the case if the criminal continues to perpetrate the same act or crime. Time since the original offense should be completely irrelevant as the crimes are in a series or pattern that continues. I firmly believe serial criminals would stay incarcerated longer. And in turn, that would protect more people in our communities from falling prey. In my research, the cash-free electronic scam that Ricky Dugo was found guilty of theft by deception originated in the early 2000s. There is a victim out there that lost money to Rick for TVs that Rick said he had access to. He started this deception saying he had a connection at Best Buy and he built victims out of thousands of dollars while he was living out in the Addison area in Illinois. Based on my research and a hunch, I would estimate he has successfully pulled off the cash for electronic scam over a hundred times. Being that the scam is identical in nature, I want these crimes to be extended to those affected early on, as the crime is serial and in a pattern series in row. Why afford the alleged criminal more rights than the victims? If legislators are willing to help me introduce a new law that states this, that new law would be to allow personal fraud, theft, theft by deception crimes to have extended statutes of limitations. I mean, three years is a joke. Ricky Dugo kept many on the hook for longer than three years. Make it unrestricted to time if the crimes are of a serial nature. Give the victim and authorities ample time to put these cases together. Finding the patterns obviously takes a very long time. It simply doesn't seem fair that a crime can be committed. And after three years, if charges aren't filed, the criminal just gets away with it. The elapsed time doesn't change the fact, again, that there is a victim in all of this. The scales of justice tilt in favor of those committing these crimes. Another idea for change that I believe is needed, again, specific to con men and criminals committing the acts of theft and theft by deception, would be where we break down all of these jurisdictional limitations. In the cases against Ricky Dugo, the charges that were filed were only pertaining to those alleged crimes being carried out in Lake County, Illinois. But Ricky Dugo has, in fact, stolen from many victims in Cook County and DuPage County. And I would venture to say there aren't too many counties within this fine state that he hasn't ripped somebody off in. 
the current structure of the laws and how the smaller governing bodies, aka the counties that we live in, are locked out of crossing over the lines to charge cases in these counties that may just be across the street. Again, any smart criminal, one like Ricky Dugo, knows that he could run his cons out of a gym in Cook County, then he could get in his car and head north just across Lake Cook Road into Lake County and run another scam there. If the authorities found out, you would have two counties looking into it and those two counties' resources not necessarily working in tandem and or together to help file these charges together. They would be on their own to investigate and also on their own to file any subsequent charges. There should be a collaborative policing entity that is allowed to take a look at the entire picture within our state altogether rather than have all of these limitations based on the location of the crimes. I guess what I'm thinking is this. In my case, it is listed as the state of Illinois versus Ricky Dugo. In actuality, it was Lake County, Illinois versus Ricky Dugo. I mean, I get it. It's just semantics and verbiage. But to me, this is one of the largest issues when it comes to charging crimes in our state. The jurisdictional limitations lock out so many potential charges merely because they happened over a county line, and then that would just be another county's problem. Why continue to pass the buck? If serial crimes are committed in this state, why does it matter if it took place in Lake County versus Cook County? I mean, who gives a shit? The crimes are still crimes in a pattern and a series. Why make it harder for the police to investigate and open cases? While you may think all of the suburbs collaborate and share information, I can tell you that doesn't always happen. The time for change is now. Additionally, where is the FBI in all of this? True story. The FBI was brought into Lake County after the 2021 arrest where six felony charges were filed in Lake County. The FBI opened a case file and on two separate occasions visited the Lake County investigative team in Waukegan, but may not have done anything more than that. By the FBI opening a case file, it allowed Lake County access to some additional resources funding, and personnel that they could use for this case. I mean, that's all nice and all, and not to sound ungrateful, but really my ask at this point is for someone in the federal system to look at this guy and the 6,000 documents Lake County gathered for discovery on these cases. Again, you will hear that the FBI was called in more than two times over the past 30 years or so. I know for a fact that Lake County investigated and took victim and witness statements all over Illinois, crossing over to Indiana. They had conversations with the Missouri Attorney's General's office and victims down there. We have 100% confirmation that Ricky Dugo has committed crimes in many states. Not only has he committed crimes inside of those states, but he has also defrauded victims across state lines where he has received wire transfers from people in Missouri that came into his buddy, Mr. Grant's bank account 
on behalf of Rick, which is a co-conspirator charge for sure. I have seen the bank transfers and the wire information firsthand. This is called wire fraud. And each time Rick took control of that money and property via wire transfer without any intent to provide the victims the goods or services or products he promised, which we all know he didn't, he should have been charged by the feds, aka the FBI, for each and every separate wire transfer he received. And the feds should have subpoenaed Mr. Grant and arrested him too as a co-conspirator to this crime. Gotta wonder, where is the IRS with all of this? I mean, the guy steals 20 plus million dollars since the 1980s, but doesn't file income tax? I have asked Lake County for my name to be submitted as the IRS whistleblower, but the IRS wasn't interested in looking into Ricky Dugo. I mean, this is fucking crazy, right? I mean, how is this man not worthy of the IRS giving Ricky Dugo a look-see? I just don't get it. And that brings me next to Ricky Dugo's accomplices, whom could really be victims in all of this, as you may hear next season from Detective Bill Bang. You have to wonder why his friends like Mr. Grant, who also lives in Lake County in a suburb called Libertyville, Illinois, a guy who has received and cashed in those large out-of-state wire transfers on behalf of Rick, why do they hang around with this douchebag? Mr. Grant also stashed the many Dugo Khan motorcycles at his house for Rick. He's also the guy that's always riding the extra motorcycle with Rick. It begs the question, why? Then there is Miss Lebowski. I mean, what is she getting out of renting houses and buying cars for Rick? All of which ended up in judgments and evictions in her name. What is she getting from Rick in order for her to be okay with him ruining her credit? Jeff Klein, too, could be an accomplice, as the process server that eventually served him with eviction paperwork in Trenton, Illinois, in 2018, reported back that Mr. Klein refused to come out of his house, and the process server was forced to wait almost a day for him to leave his house and take his dog on a walk. It was at that moment the process server was finally able to serve him. He was yelling profanities at the process server. Here is the interesting part that you will hear next season. Jeff Klein must have texted Ricky Dugo shortly thereafter, as within an hour of being served, Dugo was back pretending to be Jeff Klein on text to Faraz, saying he couldn't believe Faraz was going forward with the eviction process. I mean, these guys are unbelievable. So again, it begs the question, why would Jeff Klein willingly let the Dugos rent a house in his name? 
What is he getting out of all of this? And what did he get out of the eventual summary judgment of over $34,000 plus court costs? I mean, hello, Mr. FBI agent, go after every one of these lowlifes. The buck stops here. End the criminality and charge these people as accomplices. Blood is thicker than water. And you have Rick's sister, Renee Schulte. Renee is mentioned not only once, but twice in the Dugo December 2021 Lake County Grand Jury indictment labeled L613-63384. In counts two and three of that grand jury indictment, Renee Schulte was given money twice via check, which was then laundered back over to Ricky Dugo. Now, in my opinion, and I would guess in many attorneys' opinions, she is in direct violation of a law, one where she is a co-conspirator to commit a financial crime. Let me read you the law from the Illinois state statute marked 720-ILCS-5-17-10.6, Section G. Conspiracy to commit a financial crime. A person commits conspiracy to commit a financial crime when, with the intent that any violation of this section be committed, he or she agrees with another person to the commission of that offense. No person may be convicted of conspiracy to commit a financial crime unless in a verdict action or acts in furtherance of this agreement is alleged and proved to have been committed by the person and or co-conspirator and the accused is part of a common scheme or plan to engage in the lawful activity. So you have to wonder, as Renee is listed in the grand jury indictment, why wasn't she charged as well? I mean, in order to stop Ricky Dugo, you have to go after his friends that are accomplices. Maybe you have to go over his family, his sister, and his wife as well. Which brings me to one of my last and final points. Many of my keen listeners have been asking me if Rick's wife, Shannon Dugo, is in on the cons and scams and frauds. I, again, will have to tread carefully here. So I will just say this. You are all very smart and intelligent people. What do you think? With the many cars that both of the Dugos possessed that were in other people's names and constantly being repossessed, to the process servers and notices of evictions where both the Dugos are kicked out of more than 10 houses and townhouses over the past decade or so, you have to wonder, right? My team of spotters who also monitors Shannon's Facebook profile and social media posts, have noticed that she likes to change her last name on her profile. Gotta wonder why. Back in 2018, she used to list her profile name as Shannon Dugo. Then, when the shit started to go down, and I mean the shit was starting to go down, she changed her profile name to Shannon Blair. But today, she is now using her maiden name, Shannon Twilly. I guess using aliases and or prior last names is a real thing now.
I did want to add this note as well. While I do not want to be the poster child of the guy that got conned, swindled, and or scammed, I realized early on that someone needed to take the time to tell the story. It is important for me to admit to you all that this story is not going to be the event in my life that defines me. And while there may be some that think that this true crime podcast is a bit self-serving, I will agree with you that in a sense it is. I needed to do this for me. I needed to tell the world my story with the goal of public awareness and how we can all protect ourselves from financial predators like Ricky Dugo. For me, the process of writing this script and recording the words have been nothing short of amazing for me personally. I am really proud of the hard work that I have put into this adventure. There is a catharsis that transpired, and by me being so open and vulnerable to every detail, that has only helped me to be able to get over this entire nightmare. I am totally on the other side of the story now, and I am hopeful that good things may come as a result of the hard work I have put into retelling this story. If you are wondering how long this took me to complete, I would say I have been working on this podcast for about 90 days. I spent over 200 hours writing the story and script out, and then another 100 hours recording and editing. I didn't sleep all that much and found that I was most productive uh, between the hours of 4 a.m. to 7 a.m., where the writing would just flow through me and onto these pages. I recorded all of this using a professional Fafine microphone connected to an Apple iPad Pro. I used Apple's GarageBand to record and edit and create this entire podcast. And the process was fairly easy once you understood the steps and process and limitations. Additionally, you may notice that episode one is a little slower in pace than the rest. And as I get more comfortable on the mic, the story only gets better. I could have easily re-recorded episode one, but I decided not to, as it is a reminder to all of us how with practice we can all get better. It's a reminder of how far we can all come in all of this. And I think it is the best representation of who I am in a very general sense. We can all learn to do new things and not to be scared of embarking on something that is completely out of what's comfortable. I encourage you all to try it out. You may realize you too have a hidden talent.
And before I leave you all, I wanted to take a moment and say thank you to so many people that helped me along the way. As I have mentioned to you before, it literally took a village to catch a con man and to secure the Ricky Dugo guilty verdict. I want to thank all of the victims that shared their stories with me. Detective Bill Bang and Detective Tony Thies. Assistant District Attorney Fred Day. Assistant District Attorney Kevin Barrell. Assistant District Attorney Russell Kasky. Victims Advocate Melissa Burke. The Honorable Judge Daniel Shaines. The Honorable Judge Christopher Lombardo. Dorothy Tucker and her amazing producer, Carol Thompson. My buddy, George Rett. Confidant number two with the amazing car collection. The dirty reposter, who may also be my DMV contact. To Brian Smith and Men's Health Magazine and Hearst Publications. Sam Borsha and the Lake and McHenry Scanner Media Team. All of you listening in and the fans of this show. To the team of art, sound, and voiceover work. My artwork was done by Melissa Seja from Glassjar Photos. Technical and audio engineering and production. Michael Rice, a.k.a. The Digital Pilot. My voiceover work was done by Stephen Ross. Did you hear the pipes on those intros and outros? I mean, somebody give this guy a job. Thank you all so much. Working with you has been a pleasure. I couldn't have done any of this without you. And finally, to my wife and two beautiful children, to my ma and stepfather and brother, thank you all for sticking with me and providing me with words of encouragement and believing in me. None of this happens without you. I love you all and am grateful to call you my family. Season 2 of To Catch a Con Man, in their own words, is currently in production and should be released by the end of 2023. Victims and others close to the case will provide you with intimate details on how crossing paths with Ricky Dugo changed their lives forever. We would love to hear what you thought of this story. Please send your comments and feedback to info at catchingcriminals.com.